You're listening to the Homeland Heroes Salute, sharing stories to heal and honor our heroes. This podcast is brought to you by the Homeland Heroes Foundation and produced by Dairy Cam. This podcast sometimes deals with mature content that may not be suitable for a younger audience and could be triggering for some individuals. Discretion is advised. The views expressed by our guests and others are solely their own. No views expressed in this podcast represent any of the uniform services, the Homeland Heroes Foundation, Dairy Cam, or any other organization. Dave and I are joined today by Thea Gerbic. Hi, Thea. How are you today? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Good. Thanks for joining us. Um, can you give us a little bit of a background, um, who you are, what branch you served in, your rank, um, any fun facts about yourself that you want to share? Uh, give us a little insight to who you are. Sure, absolutely. Um, I uh, I was born in Indianapolis, Indiana, and at three years old, I moved to Portland, Oregon with my family, which is where I grew up. Um, I grew up in a commune or cult, um, not the kind that you see on TV, but uh, just a religious organization of sort of hippies denouncing all worldly possessions to worship God and serve their fellow human being. Uh, that would have been amazing if I had continued to live that way. But when I was 12, I got introduced to the real world. Um, and from there, my life has had some wonderful ups and downs. Um, I am uh, about to be 40 and um, I served eight years in the Air Force. I uh, made it up to Staff Sergeant, but when I get out, I was a senior airman um, due to an Article 15. Um, and uh, I am now living in Nashua, New Hampshire um, due to my ex-husband uh, from here. He came here when he got out. And because of some of my experiences in the military, he has primary custody of our children. I guess just a few more things. Um, I am one of six kids. My youngest brother just turned 19. Um, my youngest two brothers are from my stepmom. And um, my father, actually, uh, I haven't had family around in about 15 years. And my father just moved here from Oregon in June. And uh, it has been a life-changing, wonderful experience. What led up to your decision to actually serve? My grandmother was a Marine. My father was a Marine. And my brother was a Marine. I guess is Marine. You're always a Marine. Um, I had been going to college part-time, uh, paying for it as I went. Um, to be perfectly honest, I don't really tell many people this, but um, I was a stripper for eight years, paying, putting my way through college, as well as doing drugs. Um, and when I was 20... 21, I think. I wanted to take a break from college. And um, so I took a year off and I just never had the desire to go back. Um, and I didn't know what to do with my life at the time. I wanted to be a teacher. However, um, I had a drug problem and the two don't really go together. So uh, my brother was in Iraq as well as his best friend. And I just felt compelled to serve my country as well as take a break from life and go have some fun with structure. The military seemed like fun to me. <laughs> um, and so I was just going to do four years and get the rest of the money for college. And um, then I fell in love with it and I, I stayed as long as I could. <laughs> I wanted to be a Marine. I actually initially started um, the process to become a Marine, but I have a tattoo on the back of my neck and they would not offer me a waiver for it. So I was actually in the process of looking into having it removed. Uh, it's kind of like a family symbol. So I was going to just have it 
foot further down under the collar line. Mm-hmm. And during that time frame, um, my brother and his best friend, who was like another brother to me, they both managed to call me from Iraq and they, they begged me to go into the Air Force instead. And thank God I listened to them. <laughs> I, I, I can totally relate to that. Um, you know, my first experience uh, when I was going to enlist, I was actually going to enlist in the Marine Corps. My dad was a Marine. I have an uncle that was a Marine. And um, it's a funny story. I was sitting across the table at home with my dad and the recruiter. And I was fixing to sign the papers. And my dad looks at the recruiter and says, you can leave now. <laughs> the recruiter tried to enter, you know, he goes, well, I will. And as soon as he finishes signing, and my dad says, no, you can leave now. And I was, I picked up the pen to sign. And my dad looks at me and says, put the pen down. I put the pen down. And, the re- and he looked at the recruiter again. And he says, all right, you can leave now, like the third time. And the recruiter tried to rebut again. And my dad leaned across the table and said, one ring to another, you can get out of my house. I'm going to talk to my son. <laughs> so that that was where my uh, dealings with the Marines ended. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I went Air Force. <laughs> yep, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you were happy about that decision too. I think I was. I ended up in the Army after that, though. So who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so when you um, you enlisted in the Air Force, and you were thinking that, you, I mean, you said you liked it, but was there anything initially that made you think that you were going to like it? Um, the structure. Uh, I have a wild personality and structure helps me to maintain a stable life. Um, as well as my brother and I, as well as, and his best friend, my two brothers, I guess we were connected at the hip. And so I went to go and spend time with them many, many times in Pendleton and Palm, what is that? home, I don't remember, down in California, um, all over the place. And just being around that whole world, um, it was just appealing to me. It was fun. It was challenging. Um, It was something that I felt that not only could I succeed at, but I could be a star at. And um, there were so many things about it that that were appealing to me. Um, just having a restart, getting away from home, um, the money, the college, the respect, the honor, um, and, and being able, I mean, it was nine 11 when I joined and just that, that feeling like, you know what, not only do I want to serve my country, but I'm capable of serving my country, which means, you know what, I probably should. Yeah. So, it, I mean, you mentioned about having, you know, your family members serving and did, did that put, I mean, it didn't sound like it when you're, you're talking about it, but did you feel like that put any type of um, expectations on yourself? I wouldn't necessarily say it put expectations on me. Um, my dad was long out of the Marine Corps by the time I was born. Um, my grandma, um, she, she was out as well. Um, but it was, it wasn't an expectation. It was more, um, that I could, the, the ability to, that it was something that was obtainable, um, which a lot of the other kids around me, it wasn't necessarily something that was an option for them. Um, and it was for me. And, uh, just the fact that I had the physical ability and the mental ability and, um, and the, the honor that it wasn't, yeah, no, I don't think it was an expectation. It was more of an honor to be able to do it. 
Yeah, I can I can understand that as well. Um, you know, you um, so you you went in the military and uh, you achieved rank of staff sergeant. And during that period of time, was there like from what you experienced, you know, knowing your brother and his friend um, and any stories you might have heard from relatives that have served? Was there anything that that caught you off guard when you first went in? Um, not when I first went in. Boot camp was kind of like, to be honest, it, I should have been in detox and rehab when I was going through boot camp. So it was difficult, but it was what I expected. And it was a game to me. My drill instructor looked like Chris Rock. He even talked out the side of his mouth. And so it was hard for me not to laugh the whole time. But um, the one thing further on that I didn't really occur to me originally was that um, being away from family and friends, um, I'm not as strong as I thought I was. And um, having not having that support around you to protect you, it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, the... Um... A lot of people don't think about it. You know, when they think about leaving family and friends, they're they're thinking more along the lines nowadays, thinking more along the lines of being deployed. But yeah, right. ultimately initial boot camp, being away from family, and then you have your tech school or AIT if you're in the army and you're away for that period of time, however long it is. It depends on what your career choice is. And so you're technically you're away from family and friends there too. Yeah. Um so so during that period of time, because it's been a while since I actually went through Air Force Basic, when I went in, we got one phone call and a lot of letters. <laughs> yep, yep, nope, that was the same for me. Okay. Yep, when I when I joined, uh, they had just started doing the eight-week uh, basic training um, instead of the six weeks. And yep, one phone call and nobody answered. <laughs> so... Um, that was, that was tough. <laughs> Nobody came to my graduation. Um, not that they didn't want to just, it wasn't an option for them. Um, so yeah, the, the being away from friends and family, that was, I always thought I'd go back to, I, I, I always thought I would go back. I never thought that I would never be able to go home. Um, that, that I guess was the, the biggest thing that, that, was what I didn't necessarily expect was that I was, I was leaving home forever. Yeah. How, how did your experience um, growing up in, like you said, kind of a hippie childhood, um, how did that impact going into the service? Um, I, I don't know that it necessarily affected going into the service, but it affected me as a human being. Um, it gave me a mentality that I could do and overcome any obstacle. I, I mean, not just the way I grew up, but many other things that I had to go through. Um, not many people could survive and let alone come on top from. And, and I did, I did. And um, so going into the service, um, I, I, <sighs> I was empowered. I, I, I just knew I could do it. There was no question in my mind whether I could or couldn't. It was I could and I was going to be successful. Yeah. Um, empowered. That's a very, I think, interesting word. Like 
being a woman woman today, um, it's something that's said a lot. Um, were there other women that you joined with that you could lean on or support or that offered support while you were um, going through basic? Um, kind of, I didn't join until I was 25. And so they called me grandma. I was an aerospace ground equipment mechanic. And so they called me grandma age, uh, cause it was an age mechanic. Um, and so yes, there were some of the women that I connected to, but the majority of them were just kids to me. And on top of that, with the life that I've had, it's very rare for me to come across somebody who can actually truly relate. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Um, now, you mentioned, too, that you probably should have gone through detox. Where Can you talk some more about that experience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I was uh, 12 and introduced to the real world, um, I started public school. I could barely read or write. Um, uh, I was wearing skirts down to my ankles and head scarves because that was what was a custom in the way I grew up. Um, so needless to say, I was bullied. Um, I also have ADHD. Um, and as an adult, I've learned I have bipolar, um, which I'm luckily treated for now. But um, uh, I, at 14, um, continued to be bullied and um, the wrong crowd befriended me. They were the only people that were nice to me. And although my parents always were like, they're bad, they're bad, they're bad. It didn't make sense to me because they were the only people that were nice to me. So um, I got sucked into that pretty fast. My mom took my younger brothers and moved to North Carolina. The cult got disbanded, and my parents were having a difficult time financially managing. So my sister and I got left in Oregon with my dad and my youngest two brothers moved to North Carolina with my mom. Um, this was shortly after we, we got out. Um, and the crowd that I ended up in, that was the normal, you know, their, their parents yeah. would supply drugs for them to sell at school. And, um, yeah. it was just, it was, it was insane. I didn't, I had no actual idea of what I was surrounded with, um, as an adult, I have now found out what was going on around me and it was horrific, but I had no idea. I was completely clueless. Um, and for me, I've struggled with my weight. Um, and, um, I'm trying to remember, I, I had started working out when I was 17 and I kind of got obsessive about it. And so by the time I was 18, I was solid muscle and I, <laughs> there was this guy who asked me out and I went out with him and his roommate was a stripper and it just appealed to me. It had always appealed to me, just that whole world of crazy excitement. I, I was, in, I was, it was intriguing. And so I went and did an audition and I loved it. I loved it, loved it, loved it. <laughs> um, and I was good at it and I was a performer. I wasn't just getting naked. I was a performer and um, right. I ate it up. But about a year into that, year and a half into that, um, I was introduced to methamphetamines, um, which I mean, I did pot and this and that before, but, um, and I got hooked. I got hooked really, really bad. And um, so over the next eight years, um, it was a quit stripping and get a real job and then go back to stripping and doing meth again and just a constant battle. And um, so uh, 
going into the military, I remember like having to go in for um, uh, the, the delayed entry program meetings and stuff and being just geeked out of my mind and trying to pull myself together and hide it. And then like three days before I shipped out stopping so I could pass the drug test. And um, I, I had committed to it. Like it wasn't something I could just get out of. I, I you know, it, I didn't have an option at that point. I had to do it. And uh, so a funny story. <laughs> um, so I didn't wear underwear back then. I, and so I went to ship out and it had underwear on the checklist and I didn't have any because I didn't wear them. So my recruiter had to have his wife go pick up underwear and they were granny panties up to my belly button. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It was, it was pretty funny, but um, so I, I kind of, I kind of in a way expected this to happen. Um, I, I was about two weeks from shipping out and I, uh, was, uh, my, my, one of my little brothers was, uh, was on a razor scooter and I was running next to him and he tripped and I was about to go on top of him. And so I tried to roll out of it and I broke my collarbone. So uh, that was actually my, my first introduction to opiates. Um, which okay. had really been, and so from the opiates, once the doctor stopped prescribing them, there was still that need for an alternate feeling. And then I went back to methamphetamine again, especially since I now had a prolonged experience at the time before I left. And, um, I had, I had planned and tried on, um, you know, stop using before I left. And I just, I didn't, and I just didn't, mm-hmm. um, uh, and it was never like my whole, um, it was fun. I would do it again. I enjoyed it. I loved every second of it. I never felt demeaned or stuck or like I had to, um, I felt honored to even be able to do that. Like people chased me home from school to beat me up and looked down on me. And now all of a sudden they were paying money to be around me. <laughs> um, but it was, I mean, I'm from Oregon and Oregon, um, it was the, in the meth epidemic back then. Um, and I, I don't know, think, thinking back on it now, it was, it was just something I did. I just, I, it, there, there wasn't, it wasn't it, to me in my head, there wasn't another option. It wasn't like I could, or I couldn't, or I would, or I wouldn't. It was, this is what's happening no matter what. Mm-hmm. But I've never, I, it, I mean, I've had additional issues um, with substances after that, but um, as far as that whole world, um, once I was left, once I was gone from it and I didn't know anybody that did it, there was no way to get it. So it was just gone. I've never touched it again. That's, that's incredible that you've been able to do that. Um, and I'm sure the going into the military has probably credited some of that, <laughs> oh, um, absolutely. because you weren't around it. Absolutely. It, now, it did made, anyone... Yeah. Oh, it made me realize that um, not having access to drugs is the best way for me to not do them. 
Um, so mm-hmm. not knowing anyone that could or does or anything else, it, it prevents me from having the ability to do it. So that's something that I've carried forward in my life since then is to just stay away from it. Stay away from anybody that could possibly be involved in it rather than seeking it out. Yeah. A lot of people, um, and I've, I've dealt with several uh, veterans as well as regular civilians on occasion to where, you know, they're, they're addicted. They, and, and they know it, but they won't, they won't take the necessary steps to remove themselves from that influence. And right. they, that influence has no control over them when in all actuality it does. Yep. And I think it's something to be said about the steps you took to, you know, to go into the military and you removed yourself from that influence. Um, I remember, you know, when I was in high school and I got to be about a junior in high school and I changed schools, everything was different. I didn't fit in. And, you know, I was smoking pot and drinking alcohol as, you know, as a junior in high school, which is not typically uncommon, but um, I can tell that I could easily go down that road and stay there. And that's when I kind of started making decisions. Uh, You know, when I was skipping classes my first semester of college to go get high rather than doing what I should have been doing and realize that my dad worked really hard for his money and that money that he was spending on me to go to school was basically being wasted. I had enough respect for him to change what I was doing and I removed myself from the influences and that I haven't touched it since. Haven't had any influence. Yeah, in my life today, I, I, I really don't have, I have acquaintances, but I don't have friends and I like it that way. There's, there's no risk. I I can understand that as well. (laughs) But the other thing too, is that um, the need to feel different um, has subsided. Um, And when I first joined the military, uh, feeling the honor and the pride and all of that, it made the need to feel different go away. It wasn't until I felt like crap over other things that I needed to feel anything different than the way I was feeling, which then led me back to the wrong path. So do you feel like that that need to feel different, you said, was not there. Was it because you felt already, you felt included while you were yep. in? Yeah. Yeah, I felt included. I, yeah, I was top of my class. I was the fastest. I was the strongest. I was all the things that made me feel good was what the military gave me. Yeah, that sense of belonging is a pretty strong factor. Uh, when you go in the military and, you know, I know a lot of veterans miss that once they get out. Um, yeah, not the same. Right. Do you feel like that's, that started when um, you, the community that you were a part of as a child kind of disbanded, like you started searching for that? Yeah. Yeah. The organization. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, so, and I had I'm taken sure. my, yeah, I had taken my life in a direction where there was literally the opposite of that. Um, and so when I found it again, it makes me thrive. 
absolutely. I, I, I wish I could go back and make a couple different decisions. Um, cause I still be <laughs> in the military today. Um, but yeah, the military, um, it, it saved my life. It gave me life, um, as, as well as, um, some other things that have been challenges, but because of those challenges and being able to overcome them, I have now been able to make a difference in a lot of people's lives. That's awesome. So a uh, real quick question along those lines. Um, you know, you said those experiences have led you to where you are now, and now you can make a difference in a lot of people's lives. Uh, do you find that that's your new passion, your new purpose? Um, kind of. I, 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 I don't necessarily make it a purpose. I just let it be part of who I am. Right. Um, I, I am at this point in my life, somebody who I'd wished I'd always been. Um, I'm, I'm in perfect shape. I'm gorgeous. Um, I have a bubbly outgoing personality. And as a kid, the way that, that everybody treated me, if somebody even just smiled at me, who I looked at as a popular person, it in a way validated me. And so I feel like I am now able to validate other people um, who felt the way I did when I was younger. And I, I'm able to uh, just have this, uh, I've, I've been through so much and in, you know, every, everything is relative and um, to be able to be even halfway happy with my life, I'm ecstatic. I don't want to die today. And that is so much better than what I had before. Anything is possible. And just being who I am um, has made a big difference. Just saying the things that I say or having the outlook that I have or being able to bring a different light to somebody's thoughts, it makes a difference in people's lives constantly, um, as well as doing things like this or you know anything anybody asks of me to be of service. I... I'm happy to do. Um, and it's gratifying to me as well as uh, being able to, to help some of my fellow human beings. That's an incredible outlook to have. Yeah, it's a lot better than what I lived with the first half of my life. <laughs> yeah, I think as long as you found it, I think that's that there's a lot of, like you said, I, I can tell that you're empowered today. Um, yeah. Yeah, very much so. Very, very, very much so. You know, yeah, I look around at my life sometimes when I'm feeling stressed out or down or anything other than completely ecstatic about life. And I think about where I've been in the past and what I've been through. I'm like, wow, your life is fucking awesome. So (laughs) it it, it brings me back to, to being happy again and being driven and motivated. And, um, and if I can't find that, I know where to go to get it. I know how to get support and how to get help now and when to do that. And, um, uh, the VA has been, uh, I can't even say enough about the VA. It has, I'm alive because of the VA. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I had a question for you and I totally blinked on it. (laughs) So you said um, you have a few children um, and an ex-husband. Did you meet him in service when you were serving? I did. Yep. Uh, We met in uh, on the flight line in Japan. Um, That was my 
I'd been in for about a year and a half uh, when when he hunted me down and uh, stalked his prey and he got it. <laughs> um, and then we actually had our child in Japan. Um, we we didn't end up getting married until a few years later. Um, he ended up getting stationed at um, in Idaho um, and I was in Nebraska. And so we thought that if we were in the same place, we could make it work. And so we both put in packages to be drill instructors. Um, we both got picked up, but then I fractured my hip. So my package got withdrawn. And after I healed, I put a package in to be an MTL, got accepted for that. Um, and so at that point was when we got married. And then that's after we had our son. Um, the, uh, two years after... Two years after we were married, we had our son. Um, so our daughter uh, just turned 12 um, and our son will be eight in February. But my, my ex-husband, unfortunately, um, is most of the cause of my downfall. Are you comfortable with sharing some of that? Yeah, I am. Um, um, so that's where I say not having family and friends around to, to protect you comes in is that my ex-husband, um, and given he was going through his own his own health back then, and he's, he's a different person today, not a great person, but a lot better than he was. Um, he, he was able to, my family would have never let somebody like him in my life. Um, my brothers would have hunted him down and told him never to talk to me again, but because I didn't have them and didn't have them to protect me, I fell into it. And, and I thought I was stronger than that. I was one of those women that I thought that I could never possibly be in an abusive relationship. Um, and, and I ended up there and I watched it happening. I felt it happening and I just couldn't even stop it. It was, um, it was, uh, it was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. Um, uh, <laughs> where where it really took a turn for the worse was um, when we were he was a he was a TI and I was an MTL. We were in Texas and um, we were the power couple. Everybody knew us. He would train his airmen at basic, and then I'd have him at tech school at Fort Sam. Um, and when when everything started having issues, um, the whole military was involved and everybody knew it was happening and there was no contact orders. And, um, it, it I was stuck. I, 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 um, there was a point where if I could have, I would have disappeared in the middle of the night and just changed my name and never come back. Um, I had even at one point, looked into liquidating everything, all my assets and taking off to Mexico. Um, I ended up attempting suicide instead, but <laughs> um, uh, the, the worst part about it was that um, I, I had my rope taken as an MTL. And so while I was going through this living hell, I got put into a basement office, uh, sitting in a corner, at a computer with nothing else around me, no, no decorate, a literally a, a, a tan corner 
computer doing data entry. And for a year, while I was going through a living hell, that's what I had to try to live with. And um, it didn't work out so well. Do you find that women in the military um, have similar stories towards uh, like yours with their significant others? Um, from my experience with the other women that I've gone to like groups with and, and all of that kind of stuff with is they have similar stories. However, their stories are, um, more related to, um, their higher ups, uh, sexual assaults, um, and being stuck in a situation where they were afraid to say anything. Um, it was kind of the same experience, just in a many, much different way, but feeling like you're trapped um it's tough it's 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 um it's tough it's really tough you know I, I you can't just quit you know and you can't just decide to get a different job or move or or anything else you you are imprisoned in your own life and um i i think i don't know um i mean i don't really I think that that myself, as well as some of the other women that I've gone through recovery with, um, have similar feelings just because of different circumstances. No options and no way out. Yep. Yeah, the only way out was death. Yeah. And I tried to take it. How did you come back from that? Um... <sighs> Well, I remember when I uh, came to in the hospital, um, I remember the first question I had was, why am I still alive? And um, they they kept me um, locked up or whatever you want to call it for almost three months. Um, I was an inpatient facility and um, just all of the support and the help that I got, it, it was almost kind of like... <sighs> Everything changed when that happened. Um, it, I learned how to get help. Um, I, I didn't quite understand how to use that help at the time, but I learned how to get it. And I started being given some, some tools to try to um, deal with life. And um, I... <sighs> I don't, I don't know, like I, on a day-to-day -day basis, I'm not sure what kept me going. I mean, my kids, obviously, um, but that was part of the reason why I tried to kill myself was because I didn't want them growing up to see me the way I was. Um, that was the biggest reason for suicide was just, I didn't want them to know their mom like that. And um, <laughs> I guess it was more uh, of once I, once after that three months, I, I didn't want them growing up with a father like that. And so that kind of gave me a different drive to be better and to, I don't know. I just, all of a sudden there was an out, there was a way out the three months in the impatient, it was, it was away from everything. It was my escape. And it gave me enough time to just be able to realize that I wasn't as stuck as I thought I was. Mm -hmm. 
you say it allows you a, a, a period of time to decompress so that you could get everything squared away in your thought processes? Yeah, it, it, it I, I had never really been honest about my true feelings and what was going on inside my head. I tried to hide it. Um, so that that point was when there's no hiding it after that. <laughs> Pretty blatantly obvious how you feel when you attempt suicide. Um, and so that's when I was starting to get the help that I actually needed. Um, and that, that's what started me. Uh, obviously, I've had a lot more struggles along the way. But um, on top of that, that was when my mental health um, issues started being attempted to, to, to deal with. Um, it, it's uh, it, only about four and a half years ago um, was it that I actually finally got on the right medications and that I'm stable and, and uh, I feel okay. And, um, but that was when it started. It was hope. I had hope. It gave me hope that, that, that it would be okay. I just had to keep trying. And, um, uh, and I couldn't let him win. I couldn't let him win. And if I died, he won. I always remember he had, he had, he's always had his thumb over me. Like he's, he's always managed to have some kind of control over me. And, um, I realized that my attempt to release that control by suicide was really only giving him that much more control. And so I needed to take control back. And by doing that, I needed to be better. And if I was better, I'd feel better. And when I felt better, I could do more. And when I did more, I, he no longer could be in control of me for the most part. I mean, he still has a lot of control over my life. Um, my suicide, I actually attempted suicide twice. Um, the, the first time was before our son was born. Um, we had been married for, well, we got married about eight months prior to me being able to get down to Texas. He was down there. And then me and my daughter, Gianna, we went down there. And six months after that um, was my first suicide attempt. Uh, he, he was a chronic cheater and manipulator and um, extremely emotionally abusive. And I... But I would I would leave him. I, you know, I got a no contact order. I would do anything because as soon as he was able to talk to me, somehow he was able to manipulate me back into the relationship. And he had manipulated me back into the relationship yet again and cheated on me yet again. And I felt like I just couldn't get away from him. And the first time um, I had taken a bunch of pills and then I realized, what the fuck am I doing? I, I, I don't want to do this. I tried to throw them all up, um, ended up in the hospital, but I had changed my, my decision at that time. The second time, um, my daughter was in the house um, the first time and both my son and daughter were in the house the second time. Um, I, I had a plan. Um, I. I had waited until I felt the medication kicking in. And then I, I sent my ex-husband a text message, come home 911. Because um, in my head, that the kids were napping. He'd be home before they woke up. And, um, and so it wasn't like I was leaving them in a dangerous situation. At least that's what it was in my head. But 
because of that, um, he has primary custody of the kids and um, it's been, uh, it sucks. It sucks that I got, I ended up where I was due to his actions and yet my actions ended up putting him in even more control. And um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> okay. No, no worries. But today he doesn't have control over my emotions. He, he, he has a lot of control over the kids. He's very controlling. He never left the the drill instructor mentality behind him. He's so hard on them. And, um, I, I try to get every last second that I can with them and, he does everything he can to try to limit my my contact with them. Um, I mean, I have, you know, my every other weekend and my Wednesday holidays and I go to all of their games and practices and every other opportunity I have to be around them. Um, but he he does everything he can to try to prevent me from from having anything to do with them. And so in that way, he has control, but every other aspect, he no longer has control. He doesn't have control over my emotions, over my daily life, over what I do. I get to be happy and he doesn't get to take that away from me. That's pretty powerful right there all in itself. It took a long time to get there. Long time. Long time. I think the most important part is that you did get there. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it, it gives me, uh, and everything is relative, and that's why I get to be so happy today. Is you know, out of the little things that I have, and and I, it's it's, I don't want to die today, and not wanting to die feels damn good. <laughs> All right, that might be a good place for to stop for today. Um, and anyone who's listening, please tune in for the next episode. Uh, Thea, thank you for joining us uh, for part two. Tune into the next episode of the Homeland Heroes Salute. This podcast is brought to you by the Homeland Heroes Foundation, an organization dedicated to the reacclimation support of active duty service members, veterans, and their families in their time of need. To learn more, visit homelandheroesfoundation.org. Thank you to our production team at DairyCam, creating connection through story for a better world. Learn more by visiting dairycam.org. Thank you for listening and make sure you subscribe to the Homeland Harris Salute wherever you listen to podcasts.